And I'm trying to give a really concrete example because transformations don't happen overnight. We work on this three and a half years and we're still yeah. working on it. And as you said, there are a couple of really important things. I would say people and practices and more than anything, mindset. I would say that one key factor for us to succeed was the buy-in from our CEO. You need somebody higher up that buys in these ways of working. And also on the other side, of course, the first thing you have to do is to make sure that you show the value. So make sure that you have some quick wins so you can buy yourself time to do other stuff. Welcome to Product with Banash. I'm Axel, and in this show, I talk to product leaders and experienced operators across Europe and beyond. Together, we'll learn about their craft, how they build successful products, and unpack the frameworks and secrets they've used in delivering growth for their businesses. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Francesca Cortesi, who is currently Chief Product Officer at Hemnet, where she leads the product development of one of the world's most popular property portals and one of Sweden's most beloved products. Earlier in her career, Francesca has contributed to building some amazing digital products from a global community for girls to express their creativity, to e-commerce platforms, a marketplace in its expansion phase, and a startup in the sustainability space. Hi, Francesca. How's it going? Hi, Axel. I'm really good. Great to be here with you today. I'm very happy to have you on the show. Before we dive into today's topics, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what you've been up to so far? Of course, that's my pleasure. I'm Francesca, now like reaching this podcast from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm originally from Italy and I've been working with product development almost 12 years now. But I just want to say that as many of you maybe that started with this some years ago, I accidentally fall into a product. So I'm not one of those studied product development or anything. Thing like that. My background is one of this really weird thing. I studied at university communication and philosophy. So nothing to do with engineering or anything like that. And where I'm from in Italy, I'm from a city called Bergamo and I started my career in Milan. And also what I did at the beginning was nothing to do with digital. Actually, it was the thing that was most far away from digital, you can imagine, because I work with fashion. And there, everything is basically, the whole deal is being in the space. There are a lot of people coming to Milan just to experience fashion weeks and stuff. So it was really far away from, from digital. I was doing what one can say was event planning or project management. And that was what I call my Italian or first part of my career. And that was until 2011 when I decided to move from Milan to Stockholm, so in Sweden. And that has nothing to do with work, <laughs> well, like really personal reasons. But there, here in Sweden, I started um, the second phase of my career that was my digital one. I work with a lot of different products, although one you mentioned. I started actually as project manager. I started then while doing that work, getting a little bit bored after some years yeah. of just working towards a deadline, making sure you deliver on budget, on time. The products. Exactly. They're great. And we, just, we still have to do some of this in product management, but only doing that got me a little, at least a bit bored. I also started to ask a lot of questions. Why are we doing this? Why are we not doing this? What are we trying to achieve? Like this really stuff. Until there was a boss of mine who told me, you maybe should do product management. And I was like, what? There was nothing back in the days. I mean, the product management was not so established as it is today. 
at least not in Europe, at least not in circle. But I said, yeah, why not? I tried out. I did not leave it ever since. I was a PM. I work with different products and now I'm heading up the entire product organization at Hemnet. You've got me intrigued now about Hemnet. I think in my mind, it's something like Zoopla or Rightmove in the UK. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Hemnet, the company, and how you came to lead product there? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Uh, maybe some of your listeners are from Sweden. And if they are, when I say Hemnet, I don't have to say anything more. Because Hemnet, it's like one of the most used product in Sweden. It's like saying Ferrari in Italy. I mean, you yeah. immediately know what it's like, it is. It's like a household brand, right? Correct. The product itself, what it does is exactly what you explained. It's like Zoopla, Rightmove, Celoger in France. It's basically about the place where you go when you have to buy or sell a property. And this brand and company has been around in the digital world since ancient time because we have the companies turning 25 years here. I, there are not so many digital products that have been around for 25 years. Hemnet was really a revolution as many of these other products were at their times. They put basically real estate transaction and property finding and selling online. That happened more or less at the same time everywhere in the world, actually, which is pretty interesting. But Hamnet as a company has been through a journey in the last years. I started in 2019 and the way I started here, I started as a product manager, actually. And what hooked me up to Hamnet was actually I was a product manager for the app team. And the Hemnet app is one of the top apps in the country. I came from a startup world where my only thought was like, how can I make people, one, think about me, two, download my app, three, when they download, understand what they have to do. That was my mantra all the yeah. time. And now I got the possibility of working with this app that everyone already was using, having, thinking, loving. And I was like, yeah. Of please let me do that. Think about the impact I can have that. So I started here at Hemnet 2019 in March and the company basically was around 70. It was in a really interesting moment for the company perspective. More or less one and a half year before the company was acquired by a risk capitalist. Yeah. And there was a bit, maybe some of you can recognize the story. There were new owners. There was a really clear idea where the company should have many things I also want to say were in place. There was a new management team in place. There was a clear path to what we wanted to achieve. There was a company strategy. Yet there was one piece of the puzzle that was a bit missing, which was product execution. When I started at Hamnet, there were product teams. There were cross-functional. There was this idea of working agile, of course. When you're like, I started some weeks in the work and I'm like, okay, I'm new. Please tell me what's the most important thing. What's the most, help me out. As a PM, I normally say the first six months, you're basically useless because you don't really know yourself yeah, what's I most important. Context, right? Correct. I had like in my back backlog for one quarter, 23 items. And I was like, what is the most important? And no one could really point at it. It's like there was this lack in alignment of execution and what was really important, which I started to notice. I also started to notice that there was a little bit of mismatch between the company goals and what actually those meant. If we say that we want to increase revenue by X percent, 
do we have a clear idea of how doing it? We could be doing it in 300 million different ways. But if we want to execute, we need to have laser focus. Are we talking about the same things? Are those product teams working toward the same goals and so on? And at the beginning, I was a bit the new girl asking too many questions. That's the story of my life. But what happened is also while I was asking those questions, I got someone listening, which was really like a bless for me. And it was actually our CEO that was like, oh, you have a lot of questions, we're already opinionated. You think that you should do it in some way. I was saying, okay, but why are you doing this and not that? And uh, this kind of stuff. And then she was like, you have a lot of ideas, but come on, try it out. So I got the chance and it was really a combination, you know, of curiosity, questioning, having ideas, but also good timing because there was not a CPO at Hamlet at that time, yeah. but there was a chief product and strategy officer. So both business and product development together. And he would go on a long parental leave. That was like a chance for me, basically, of getting an interim position, which I got. And so I started to be CPO. And that was the chance, all these opinions. Are you able to make that reality or is just talk? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you have to walk the talk, basically. Exactly. So that's where the story began, basically. This was September 2019. So it was, yeah, three and a half years ago, maybe a little bit more than three years ago. And since then, looking back, it's really, yeah, we walked the top and it was not just me. By now, Hamnet has grown. We are almost 150 people, roughly so 50 doubled, doubled in size and roughly half of it is product development. We actually put our power of execution in place. We deliver a lot of really important milestone for the business. And at the end, that led up to a really successful IPO in 2021. And since then, we're experimenting a lot and doing a lot of fun things and really impactful things with our product development. So really happy. So it also strikes me, you talk about the fact that when you arrived, there was already this transition because the firm had been acquired by a private equity firm. And most of the times when this kind of stuff happens, there's a phase of transformation, right? Because these PE guys have something in mind. They want basically want an upside on their transaction. And you mentioned the IPO in 2021. How did you go about putting some of the things you just mentioned in place? So you talked about product practices. We talked about agile. We talked about it's great to have ideas, but how do you execute them? How do you bring the team together around these ideas? So how was this transition for you? Like, how did you come into this role and actually get to deliver the impact that allowed the company to have this successful IPO in 2021? And then beyond 2021, how did you structure the product practice? That's an excellent question. And this, whatever I'm going to tell now, always keep in mind that this worked for us. That doesn't mean that will work for you. I think product, it's really you know, really connected with your things and where you operate, extremely contextual. For me, it was first time CPO. I was, if I look back at something, I was like, what I was even thinking? There was not in the beginning thinking about, oh, we have to do this agile transformation. We have to work this way. It was basically a journey that was built piece by piece. 
And that I think it's the most important thing that I would love everyone to think about. If you are in what we call sometimes a feature factory, or if you have only features in your backlog, you cannot think to go from there to continuous discovery and outcome. You need to find something in between. And that's basically what we did. The very first thing that I did that I focused on was the most important thing that we have to show, which was execution. We did not have execution in place. And to me, the main reason, the core problem or challenge, if you want to put a positive word, was that we did not a clear priority. We did not know what we want to achieve, or maybe some people in management had it really clear, but that was not drilled down into the teams. So I started to ask myself, how can we do it? And one thing that I did was a really simple thing. You can do it different level, depending on our organization. If you have problem with nicing priorities, what we did, it was a common backlog. As easy as this might sound. And I mean, that, that solved it. One of the problems was... Sorry to interrupt, but when you say common backlog, what, what do you mean in terms of it was common between which entities? All the product teams. Okay. So at that time, we had five product teams. Now we have nine. And also, I'm going to tell you a little bit the story of this backlog, so maybe can inspire some people. As I said at the beginning, I was like heading up the app team. Only the app team had way too many items that we can handle in a quarter. And then the first question was like, what is most important? And to have that priority anchored, we needed to sit all in the same room. So what we did is first we had this meeting. I organized this meeting with all the PMs. The PMs, and for us, it's much easier to do it in a smaller company. We were like seven people. So PMs and all the DMs, so dev managers for, for the teams, they were there. They were basically describing what they thought they would want to work, their wishes to work for the quarter. We went through all of them one by one. And then this is going to sound really silly, but that's what we actually did. We voted. I would not do that again, actually, but everyone voted for everyone's items, which was a way that forced us to actually talk, is this thing really more important than the other or not? And this was basically the first step that we took to create process, if you want to use that word, to actually make it really clear what is most important to work on. The positive effect of it is that the, it was clear, it was communicated, it was anchored. So it was also between the teams, it was much easier to handle dependencies. Before we have some of the teams that got so many requests from other teams, they didn't really know, it was not clear. So we had really helpful teams, which is a blessing, but that was also a curse at the time. Because what happened is that everyone tried to add out everyone else. And at the end of the day, we did not get anything done. Or we got some things done, but we did not really move the needle. So while doing this, and the very first time we did it, yeah, we prioritize features. It's not that you go from this to, oh, let's talk about outcomes. It's an that, incremental that transformation. It was an right? incremental, definitely, totally incremental. First, it was feature. Then while doing it, we realized, yeah, we shouldn't vote on each other because I'm more than me. Okay. Then we implemented instead of output, outcome. And then you should see if we look back this outcome, how they were formulated. We tried to shoehorn in an outcome, an <laughs> output in an outcome. I mean, I'm not surprised. And a lot of, a lot of the things you're describing, it's, it's very much this project to 
product transformation, which I think is really interesting. And one of the things I'm also quite curious about is to do these transformations, typically in organizations like Hemnet back, at, back in the day, you also need the right people in place, right? So people that actually know what the difference is between doing product management the right way versus project management and how to instill these product practices in the organization. How did you go about that? That you're really right. This is what I'm describing and I'm trying to give silly and really concrete example because transformations don't happen overnight. We work on this three and a half years and we're still yeah. working on it. And as you said, there are a couple of really important things. I would say people and uh, practices and more than anything, mindset. I would say is important in different levels. I would say that one key factor for us to succeed was the buy-in from our CEO. If you don't have the CEO, you need somebody a little bit higher up that buys in these ways of working. Sure. And also on the other side, of course, the first thing you have to do is to make sure that you show the value. So make sure that you have some quick wins so you can buy yourself time to do other stuff. That's what we did. The other part, it's about PMs. And of course, I mean, we were in some sense doing project management, and that's also a journey. There's a education of PM. There's also a mindset of a PM that wants to be open to learn something else. I think the most important thing is that if you hire the right people, that's not going to be a challenge. I mean, I think that good PM, the very most important skill you need to have is like being open to change. If you do your work right, you're going to change the environment around you constantly. You're going to evolve constantly. So as a person and as a like in your product, and that's what I think we had in place. We had really amazing people that were open to do this journey. Actually, they saw how they could change the way they work in this journey. You can still like really looking back. There are some of my PMs I work with that they're still with me. And you see really, it's amazing. Every really year. really bought into this idea of there's a better way to do this and Tot getting this transformation right. Definitely. And, I, and also I, another thing that I think it's important, of course, and that's, those are the ones I can influence most directly and reporting directly to me. But I think it's super important also to, uh, when it thinks about who works with product development. So UXer, designer, developers, all of them also needs to have a certain mindset. Because to work in this way, now we're working, for example, with continuous discovery, you need to have people that are curious and really want to understand a little bit of the bigger picture. If you just have some developers that, you know, don't talk to me, I want to code. We have had those and those were not right fit for us because that's not the way we work. They might work really well in other contexts, not for us. Also, I'm going to throw in a buzzword and then I'm going to explain it. People and the other important thing is culture. Yeah. And culture could really feel like a buzzword, but to me is more like to work in this way, you really need to work as a team. So being open to each other's perspective, no ego is not my way or the highway. Not always easy, right? That's the most difficult thing you can do. Especially in product where I think we've got, people are really invested in what they do in general, right? You working in a product team. I like, people often talk about their product as being their baby. You know what yeah. I mean? And so much of our identity as product managers is interweaved and wrapped 
into everything we do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so, and sometimes we leave work and we're still product managers. It's like there's no distinct line between the stuff we do at work and how product management impacts our life in general. Getting detached and having a sense of detachment from the work you're doing and like you're saying, trying to manage the the ego side of things and have yourself removed emotionally from some of the discussions you have to have at work, et cetera, is not always easy. It's the hardest. And I don't know how many times I'm, maybe that's the Italian part of me, have a really hard time to draw a line, as you were saying, between yeah. work and home. The other way around works as well. I had a really crappy <laughs> day home for whatever. It's not that I can come in a meeting Oh, woohoo! The most exciting person. Exactly. Learned this the really hard way myself. From a PM, the best way of finding that detachment is not to work too much on an idea yourself. Because what happens is that if you fall in love with the idea, as a PM, we have this skill that we are really good at convincing others, right? That's what I was told, at least when I started, into influence, even if you're not the boss, you create your rhetoric, you build your story, and it becomes quite easy to manipulate, especially if you fall in love with your idea. And the more, you know, you work on it, thinking about it, you even just crafting a slide deck, you spend two days on a slide deck, everyone is going to come with a comment, it's going to feel like they're disrupting your work, or that they're saying that you did the bad work. And I started to use this simple technique that I don't spend more than, I don't know, a couple of hours on something before I share. And there I notice that I get much more open to feedback. And that's the whole thing, right? Because every single time I get a feedback, the final result is if I think about something, there comes someone else that either tries to kill it directly or see a fault or see builds on it. And that's the best thing with the working with the team. That's the whole point, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have different skills and expertise. Do you feel stuck not knowing how to tackle a problem? Or you're looking for a solution to help your team members grow in their craft? Either way, check out panache.io. Panache works with product leaders to bring expert insights and proven frameworks you can use in your role as a product person. Companies like Atlassian, Content Square and Miracle all choose Panache to provide the right level of training and coaching to their product teams so they can perform at their best. Whether you're a product leader or an individual contributor, head to panache.io to get an idea of how we can help you level up today. Check out panache.io. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O. Yeah, so it's a question of having external perspective. And I guess it's also about mitigating risk, right? So Correct. you're exposing this, your point of view, your perspective, uh, your insights to the wider product community so they can give you their point of view. And then you have to balance all of that and figure out where to take it next. Something you mentioned, which I think really stuck with me, is this thing about product culture. I think a lot of the work involved in building a great product practice is having very strong foundations in place. For example, psychological safety is one of them. So how do you make sure people can talk about the stuff they're thinking about and they're in the right environment where they can share their ideas? People say 
especially as product people, we need to focus on the problem and not the solution. That's the easy part. Saying it is the easy part. And then actually focusing on the problem requires a bit of psychological safety. How have you gone about providing your team and the people in your team with the right skills and the right environment so they can actually do their best job, right? Yeah, I think you're spot on here, Accent. Psychological safety is the baseline for everything. If you don't have that, forget about collaboration. Forget about people commenting on your idea. Forget about feedback and everything. And this is another thing that you cannot just expect that it happens by itself. You have to work with it. There are different things that I can share that I, for the first in the beginning, I had one-on-one with my PMs weekly. And it was like their meeting, as I used to say, I'm here for you to help you out and listen. And that was also like a recurring thing to, to talk about anything and to show that here I am trying to help you and support you. And let's talk. That was one part. The other part regarding the skills is that we do monthly back then. Now we do bi-monthly because I have too, bit too many direct reports at this point, but also a personal development plan. That's also really important to create this feeling that we're working on this together. If you are getting better, I'm getting better and the product is getting better. And what shall we focus on? Also putting this plan, it's much easier to give feedback because then we agreed that this is the things that we should focus on and you can go in detail. Another maybe really simple idea that I can share is that we have our weekly PM meeting. And we always start this weekly PM meeting with positive feedback to each other. And this is a way, and you might, when I talk about this, some people think it's silly. I think it's really powerful because if you think about it, feedback builds up psychological safety. You know that I value you. You know that I value your work. I should tell you every time you do something correct or good or what I think, why I appreciate you. And if we do it regularly, then the time that I have to tell you something that is more, could feel more like a, as a criticism, that's not the only thing that will stuck with you. That's, I think it's a really something that we're doing that really helps us. When it comes to giving feedback also, we have developed different ways. When we had COVID as the rest of the world, that we were stuck in our home offices, that was, of course, painful, but also was a possibility, I think. It made me reflect a lot on how we could innovate and actually maintain those relationships, even though we couldn't meet each other. And there we actually find new ways of working that cater for different needs. For example, now we take feedback when we ideate. Once upon a time, we had just feedback on the spot. Some people are really comfortable in having feedback on the spot. Some people think it's really not the best. They don't dare to speak up. It's the introverts speak up even less. So what we did is, yeah, you have a palette of ways of giving your feedback. You can use lack, you can use asynchronous, you can say directly, we can have a meeting. We also have general Slack channels where we can give kudos, which is also like for everybody. And there are like small things, yeah. but I think those are really important to create this culture of working together. Another thing that we have that is not totally connected with psychological safety, but was a really key ingredient for us for product culture. It's, we have this thing that is called the article club. Okay. It's, it started as a book club, 
Yeah. And then book felt a little bit intimidating for a lot of people. For me as well. Oh, another reading. <laughs> no, I was like, oh my God, every week, uh, some weeks we had those chapters that were like 50 pages long. And I was like, oh my, yeah. my God, anxiety. I did not read it. <laughs> now we switched for, which are, sounds good. it's much easier. It's also different. Uh, people can come in and come out. We have it every week, 30 minutes. And basically we start from something that someone shares. And then we almost always circle back to something really concrete that we could think about in our organization. This is really something that I would recommend for creating this product culture. Thanks for sharing that. One of the things that I, from experience that I think has been helpful for me in my career as a product manager is to have the support and coaching from one of the most experienced or most senior person in the team. Uh, have you done anything specific around coaching, for example, for some of the people in the organization? I'm asking because specifically coming from, we talked about this transformation at Hemnet, coming from an initial organization that was output focused and was doing more project management. I'm thinking about, you know, how do you help along this large group of people who used to work in a certain way in working into this new way? I think bringing in experienced people that know about product is one thing, is one brick that you bring to that construction. There is, you talked about agile earlier, so I'm guessing at some point you can have some agile coaches in the mix, but have you put like some form of coaching in place, whether informal or formal? And what is your point of view around how some of the more junior PMs are going to kind of step change in their career and elevate their career in companies like Hemnet? That's a great question. I really want to say that even though there were, I mean, we had agile ways of working and we had people that had worked in that way, then you can categorize agile in different ways. Is You could still be agile and not be empowered of the pining yeah. outcomes, but have uh, something to implement. We had like when I took over just to go completely, I mean, we, we were not like a feature fabric. There, we were not that. There were a little bit of confusion around the direction, but the pieces of the puzzles were there. We had people really coming from a product mindset, but 100%. So those lead, need, didn't need a lot of help in that sense. There were others that needed a bit more of an adjustment, also understanding what it means project versus product. And how did we do it? I think there are different ways of coaching. We had, of course, people in the organization that comes kind of, we call it development management, but it's agile coach or this kind of background. Yep. Uh, that, that was one thing, of course, that it was in place to help us in this transformation. I helped or worked, not helped, worked with the PMs to define what was the goals for them to make it clear, having that progression. And in that definition of this past, basically, sometimes I was helping them. Sometimes I think they were helping each other you know, yeah. because that's something like really peer to peer is, yo, I see that you actually are amazing at stakeholders management. If I struggle, let's talk. How do you do it? Maybe I can follow and I can see how you do some meetings or how did you set up your stakeholders follow up? Or maybe you're just amazing at fixing lunches. So you create that personal relationship. <laughs> that, I mean, like tips and tricks. Or this other guy, it's amazing at presenting. Okay, but maybe he or she can review 
my slide deck before I do anything. It's like there's a lot, even if you come from project, pure project, then you're probably amazing at sprint planning because you know all the definition and working and scoping and timing. There's, I think there's a lot of skills that can be learned from each other. So that's, that's what we did in the beginning. The external help we took in was when we went into the pandemic. There we took in coaches that helped us understand how we could work remote better. Because a lot of our ritual, as many companies back then, we were working really 100% from the office. A lot of things were connected with being there together. There we took help of external coaches, just as give us a broader toolbox on how to approach a new environment. You mentioned a few things earlier, which I want to touch back on. You talked about having the support of the CEO or somebody in the management team at the board level. That's super important. I think you're very lucky to have someone at that level to, to support you in that transition. You talked about having this common view of the work at hand in this common product development backlog. And you talked a little bit about outcomes. And that's really interesting, right? So you would be surprised. Actually, I don't know if you would be surprised, but the amount of companies and people I speak to every year and product teams I speak to who will tell me we don't have any objectives in our teams, like literally none, nothing, nothing is formalized. And you talked about the journey in defining outcomes and you said about shoe, you talk about shoehorning, right? Like easy at first. Can you tell us a little bit about how you brought clarity and structure to all of this. I don't know if you guys use OKRs in terms of in terms of goal setting framework, but how did you go about structuring everything to give clarity to the team so that the teams could also feel empowered and have clarity on what was expected from them? That's that's a great question. And I would love to hear more about those companies and those product teams. The first question I would ask them is how do you know what to develop them if you don't have a goal. Or how do you know you're going in the right direction? Yeah. Or delivering value. But how we did it again, it was like step by step. And everything in hindsight sounds like, oh, this is like a clear path. It was not in the middle of it. It was like, oh, walking in the middle of the forest. Yeah. But the first thing was like, okay, come on, Cryo, we have to deliver on this. Let's do it. So that was the first thing. Then I started to realize that we have really clear company goals. And when company goals, we have goals like, oh, increase revenue by this much year on year, for example. That was crystal clear. We came to this point, okay, increase revenue. Okay. But then the question is, you can increase those revenue in 300 million different ways. And that was a little bit what was happening. It's like everyone was having their own take on how they should increase revenues, which is was, okay, the goal was there, but the path to the goal was not there. So what- This is the typical transition between business outcomes and product outcomes. You get most of the time from a commercial entity in the business, you get an objective, which is just like you mentioned, increase revenue or, or reduce costs or increase margin or increase net revenue retention, things like that. And then there's the question of how does that transpose into what we actually do, i.e. the product? And this is where I think a lot of teams fail. They don't know how to transpose this into their product world. I'm very just really keen to hear about how you guys went about this. Yeah, and you're totally right. Back to framework, we were using OHR back then. We have an objective and we had key result. We had increased revenue, objective increased revenue by this key result. I don't know. 
we have uh, listing revenue or is the basic was there, right? But exactly as you said, how do you do it? Our solution, how we did it is that we started to work with a product strategy. That was like the second thing that I identifies as key to basically trickle down the decision in the organization. The first one was the common prior. The second one was like, okay, if we have these goals, we need to find a common understanding of how products will drive those goals. And the, the way we define our product strategy were customer behavior. We have like customers, for example, we have buyers that comes to Hamnet and we, our product strategy was formulated from a three-year perspective because it's a behavior that we want to change. And uh, for example, with, and this we did in 2020, basically. So now we iterated one times on this strategy. But just to give you an example, we want one product strategy was like researchers should come to have researchers or users who research the market. They have not active buyers or sellers yet. You have a property, you check out your neighbor or maybe this thing that you might work, want to buy or not. We were not really working with this type of users that we had. And the product strategy was that we want researchers to come to Hamnet first when they do research about their property. So that's a behavior, right? And then you start to break it down and you start to talk about, okay, does this thing that we have in mind to do help with this behavior or not? And this is the behavior is in itself connected with the school, but it's something else that it already trickles down a little bit, business goal. And in that sense, we started to step two, the product strategy. That's the behavior. That's how we're going to get to the goal. And the main gain that we got from it, from my perspective, is that we made things clearer and clearer so that the team themselves could start having a much easier time prioritizing. Also having the behavior there made it easier to talk about opportunities. That's what we're prioritizing now in our backlog. We still have a backlog. We still have a list that is stack ranked. And that why we have that, because that is still the most simple thing to handle cross-team dependencies. Yeah. You know, when you have different teams, you don't want them to fight out. You want to give a clear direction. So that we have there. But what is tech ranked is opportunities. And also sometimes I want to say that it's not black and white. Sometimes we also have things that we have to do. We have a new, I don't know, cookie low or whatever. I know everyone has those stuff. We, yeah, that's also in the backlog. So it's really clear. What is stack rank? What needs to be done? Who does it? I think what I also experienced that an extremely high buy-in from all the teams. They commit, they see, okay, that's the company. It might not be the best interest of my team, but that's really clear and transparent and it's there. And also I'm always there. It's like transparency, safety. You have a question, please let me know. You might disagree but at least you're going to get an answer why. So I would say that the way, and we still use as well OKRs, but the OKRs now are more connected. Those key results are more connected yeah. to that behavior that we have in the strategy. So we did a couple of iterations on this. One of the things I see in the wider European product community is that sometimes, so a lot of people ask about whether the OKR game is a top-down thing, or is it a bottoms-up thing, or is it both? How does, how does that work from the perspective of company strategy and vision, mission, et cetera. So I think a lot of teams struggle with having clarity as to 
how all of this connects together. And it sounds like some of the work that you did was actually bringing everything back to basics and understanding what is expected from us commercially and then figuring out by doing some actual research, what is the value you can bring to customers and how does that drive the business and the monetary value of the business forward? I think that's really interesting. It's also, it just reminds me that sometimes people, when faced with challenges like this, tend to, they fall in the trap of frameworks. So they will go online and look for an off-the-shelf framework to solve a problem. And they will just apply it without thinking just because they're looking for an answer. And I think that sometimes that can be dangerous. Really dangerous. Yeah. Really dangerous. And I mean, ourselves, please don't take a framework and apply it by the book. I'd never say never, but I've never seen it work. Yeah. Exactly as it is. You need it to apply to your context. That's the first thing. And also, exactly as you said, the more elements, I mean, as I'm talking about it and you're summarizing really greatly, Axel, you have the backlog, you have the strategy, you have the OKRs, you have the roadmaps, you add a lot of different things. And the most important and the hardest thing is to make it all simple, connecting all the dots and let's do it simple. Let's think about what works for us and our organization and what we have to deliver. And think that frameworks for PMs and from product in general are toolbox or like inspiration that we can have to adapt. It's, I've never seen something working by the book. That resonates. I can't say I haven't seen a lot of these things work just off the shelf or by the book, like you mentioned. Thanks for sharing a lot of these wise words with us. Really interesting to hear about your journey at Hemnet and a lot of the transformation work you've been doing there. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you a few questions that I ask guests in every episode. So this is the treasure chest segment of the show where basically I try to understand what were some of the most helpful resources you've used in your career to actually drive your career forward, have impact in different contexts, different companies you've been working at? Great question. You mentioned earlier that you work with product mentors. I was not that lucky of having a mentor. But one thing that actually helped me a lot were one, trying to learn as much as possible from my colleagues. There was like, oh, some colleagues are amazing at doing presentation, workshops. One skill that I learned from one of these amazing colleagues of mine was like celebrating goals. You know, I'm one of those like always look for the next, what's next, how can we do better? And many times I forgot that you have to stop and smell the roses and give the, give credit. So that's one thing that I learned just by observing someone else doing something different. Another thing that lately has been exploding and I has been really helpful for me, but also I can recommend everybody. It's product communities. You have this podcast, also have a group of different product leaders I regularly speak with. That's the best thing ever because you have someone, you know, that understands craft, but doesn't have all the detail and can give you like a much more overarching views on your thoughts or being a bouncing ball or just have someone to talk with or even reading. And there is a bunch of forums and communities. That's, I think it's a incredible resource. Yeah, that's super helpful. So yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of people are, have not been lucky to have had mentors in their journey. And I think that's one of the single most 
impactful thing you can do. Find somebody who is more experienced than you, who you can learn from, who inspires you to some degree, right? Because these people can actually be a multiplicator on your career, right? I found that in some cases, just because I had a mentor, it helped me navigate some really complex situations in a very short amount of time. And this kind of stuff can really accelerate your career. So yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And also just to add, those people, you, they're not only product people. You can find oh, yeah. them everywhere in your organization. 100%. Like salespeople yeah. amazing at pitching. If you have to find the pitch for your product, talk with your account management. You're absolutely right. And I, based on where your spikes are as a product person and where your strengths are and your weaknesses, you can actually identify, like you mentioned, other people in the organization can be quite complementary to you and can bring you some of, some of their skills. Another thing I'm really interested in is to understand whether there have been significant moments in your career, things that have been real career catalysts or accelerators. These could be a training you did or an experience you had. Just trying to understand, and for the audience, what are some of the things they can do to take their careers forward? That's a great question. I would say that there are two things that I will point out. Every time that in my career, I did not, as I said, I come from a different background. I move, I try. I think my superpower is like curiosity and being open and like trying new things and not being afraid of doing things that I don't know what they are. And I think the mix of this curiosity and putting myself out there with someone who actually dare to give me a little bit of a bigger task that I could handle at the time was like a mixture of those two were where my career got accelerated. So it's like somehow there's also luck, but luck you create yourself when asking questions and getting curious and putting yourself in those situations. The other part that I would say that during COVID, I started to write a blog. I always liked to write, but that was the thing for me to, to focus my energy and writing my blog. Then I got, it was another way of putting myself out. And since then I've been talking at different conferences. I've been talking with podcasts. And there also was a way to getting in contact with other product people that actually engaged in a conversation that really helped me in my craft. So that's another, like all in all, if I had to summarize, I would say that put yourself out there. Don't think twice. You're never going to do it wrong. The worst thing is that you learn something, which is always a good thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Th thank you. That's, that's very inspiring. Thanks for sharing this. And the last question and my favorite question of the podcast, what advice would you give to early career Francesca? So think about an early version of yourself starting their career in product management, what advice would you give her? I would say it's two advices. One, don't be afraid of moving if you think, if you think things will not change. If I look back, if I could turn back time, maybe some jobs I would stay less. I had this path that sometimes product people tend to put on. I can fix this. But is it good for me? I don't know. Then the other advice that is really valuable, not only for my younger self, but I repeat myself as a mantra, is you don't have to do it all by yourself. I think this is all really valuable. I've been raised with this idea, you're good if you do it, if you bring it forward, if you make things happen, which of course is good, but you have a lot of people around you that can help you make things even better. And this, I think, applies to PM, junior PMs, to me every day. I think about what can I delegate? 
Who can I bring on board? What can I learn from? Where can I push myself even more? And I don't have to do it by myself. So that's the, um, yeah, my advice to my younger and older self, I would say. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Francesca, for sharing your experience with us and with the product community. It was a total pleasure speaking with you today. And yeah, all the best in your, the work you're doing at Hemnet. Yeah, that's it. I hope we get to speak to you soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. My pleasure. If you're hearing this, you've listened to this episode all the way. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Also, if you have a minute, please consider giving us a rating as it helps other listeners find the show. You can find all the episodes and resources on panache.io slash podcast. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O slash podcast. Until next time.